0: Welcome to God and Narcissism,
1: where we talk about how narcissistic abuse impacts your relationship with yourself, others, God, and the church.
0: We are three mental health
2: therapists with different spiritual backgrounds who graduated from seminary and are all survivors of narcissistic abuse. I'm Sam. I'm Mia.
1: And I'm Presley.
2: This is God and Narcissism. Hello and welcome to episode two of God and Narcissism. Today we are going to be covering what is narcissism more in depth, then we're going to talk about am I a narcissist, which is a popular question among people who hear about this topic, and then we are going to go into adult children of narcissists and what those symptoms look like. They are also called Acons in the literature. But before we get officially started, um, we do want to let you all know that this episode might be a lot. So we encourage you to take breaks if you need to, especially if you're just starting out on this journey. Um, This material can be rather triggering. So uh, feel free to just take care of yourself, uh, put it down, and come back to it when you need to. Okay, so. Uh, We mentioned a spectrum back in episode one about, uh, on one hand, you've got NPD, which is more severe, like the severest form of narcissism you can have and then all the way on the opposite you have like a healthy form of narcissism i would say and there's everything in between kind of increasing in severity
0: yeah that's like instead i think a lot of people who grow up with a narcissistic parent end up thinking that in order to not be like their parent they have to like jump to the they they kind of see the opposite side of the spectrum as like self-hatred or complete and total selflessness when that's not actually healthy but what would you say
1: presley Yeah. I was thinking like the narcissist has a lack of self and a lot of the tactics they use or how they view others around them is to gain a sense of self. So I think to not have a sense of self or say like, I'm not going to be an individual person is actually more of like a surefire way to be a narcissist. Um, and so I think developing a sense of self where you can protect yourself, um, be connected to others, have value in the world, have developed, like, a self-esteem, um, is all really important and normal developmental milestones, even if you're looking at it from, like, a psychology perspective of childhood development. Um, and we do use our parents to form a part of our identity, but then eventually it should move on to peers, other adults outside of your family, um, and then it's you about like eighteen and on. So yeah, that's what I would say to that.
2: Yeah, there's definitely like, I mean, you have to have some form of self-protection in order to get through the world. So then we're going up, though, on this spectrum, let's say we're going into some more pathological narcissism, but we're not to a personality disorder yet. What does that look like?
0: Yeah, so I think, Like, when when you're talking again, like, about healthy narcissism, there's a level of self-reflection and self-awareness there that as you go up the spectrum, you start to lose that. So, kind of like a step above healthy narcissism would be, like, someone who's just kind of selfish and kind of arrogant, but they still have some ability to self-reflect. They're still kind of self-aware in the sense where they can connect with other people a little bit more and they may change some of their behaviors they still have some empathy they still have some remorse they just kind of come across as arrogant sometimes they may be a little bit me centered and then from there i think where you start to get into more dangerous territory is someone who has like the more highly narcissistic tendencies of not being able to take responsibility for their emotions or their actions someone who doesn't have as much empathy or very little empathy where they really struggle to put themselves in someone else's shoes they don't really show remorse for hurting people or for mistakes that they make Um, they may have a strong sense of entitlement or be very image conscious constantly competing with others criticizing others Um, you'll also start to see more of like an all-or-nothing black and white kind of thinking and unrealistic expectations of self and others where so so like this person would also kind of be more aggressive passive aggressive not really recognizing others needs as much and that's like when someone is starting to consistently demonstrate those patterns of behavior that's where you're getting closer to NPD for sure.
2: And I would say in that territory, we're looking at adult children of narcissists. Mm-hmm. You don't have to go all the way to the personality disorder to be an acon. That's right? right?
1: Yeah. And also when you were thinking when you were saying all of that, I was thinking, um, people who can't like reflect about how they impact or show up in a relationship, um, or like might be contributing to contributing to something or an aspect of that relationship. Um Which I think you said, but I was just thinking about it in a different way. Yeah, I like how you put that. Mm -hmm.
2: So then let's look at the personality disorder. Um, I'm sitting in front of the DSM-5 criteria, which for those of you who don't know, that's like the handbook for therapists and psychiatrists about how to categorize people and their pathologies. And it can be hit or miss, and there's still a lot of work going on to it, so this isn't something that's set in stone. It's ever-evolving, so just keep that in mind. Um, But they say that for narcissistic personality disorder, there's really an estimated prevalence rate of 0% to around 6% of the population. Um, For people who know numbers, that's a really, really wide range. So, um, But let's kind of look at this a little bit. Um, so there's criteria for narcissistic personality disorder. It's really a pervasive pattern of grandiosity in fantasy or behavior. There's a need for affirmation, a lack of empathy, that's really key here, uh, beginning by early adulthood, present in a lot of contexts, and uh, there's five like symptoms that you need of a list. So they provide a list here of about nine symptoms, and. A person with narcissistic personality disorder would need to qualify for five of them. When I read these, though, keep in mind that at the basic level of a disorder and pathology is poor functioning in relationships, and in any context, causes significant distress. It's not just, oh, someone exhibited this, so they must have this disorder. It has to be a pervasive pattern that really disrupts their life or the lives of others. So keep that in mind as we're going through symptoms here so uh number one would be a grandiose sense of self-importance this is someone who exaggerates their achievements and talents they expect to be recognized as superior Uh, two would be they're preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success power brilliance beauty or ideal love this may not be something you would really know is going on i would say Three, uh, they believe that he or she is special and unique and can only be understood by or should associate with other special or high status people or institutions. Four, they require excessive admiration. Five, they have a sense of entitlement, so unreasonable expectations of especially favorite treatment or automatic compliance with his or her expectations. Uh, Then we've got six, They're interpersonally exploitive, so they take advantage of others to achieve their own ends. Seven, they lack empathy. They're unwilling to recognize or identify with the feelings and needs of others. Eight, they're often envious of others or believe that others are envious of them. And nine, they show arrogant, haughty behaviors or attitudes. Again, you'll only need five of those nine symptoms to qualify for the disorder. It's important though that when you hear those that we want you all to be thinking about the people in your life, but really a specialist should be diagnosing people so we don't want you to use that and go oh I'm going to call this person um, a narcissist who has narcissistic personality disorder but this is mainly for you to hear the extreme and to start to wonder what kind of water you're swimming in
0: so after going through those points I think it's also important to remember that Like, again, this is a pervasive, like, extreme type of behavior. There might be a lot of the things in this list that you can relate to personally, like, for instance, like, wanting to feel special sometimes. Who doesn't want to feel special sometimes? Who doesn't want attention sometimes? Or maybe, like, lack of empathy. You may be able to, like, recall, like, oh man, on Tuesday, I wasn't really nice to Fred. Like, that happens, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you're a narcissist. We all have, like, some of these, like, behaviors. We exhibit some of these behaviors sometimes. But, again, when you're talking about MPD, that's when it is constant, persistent. It's in multiple areas of life, multiple relationships, to the point where it kind of describes their entire character to a degree.
2: Really nice. I love how you added that. Um, okay, so we have all probably read or heard things about types of narcissists, um, and there is so much on that. Like, wh- what have you guys heard?
1: Um, I've heard of, like, grandiose narcissism, covert narcissism, overt narcissism, which I think is the same as grandiose narcissism, and then mm. within those two just like a bunch of subcategories of different kinds yeah. um and there's actually like a lot of really great information and podcasts on all of that so i think for our part pod- our podcast today we're not gonna go into all of those different kinds and what they means and mean and the types um and maybe like in the show notes we can put some of the ones we've enjoyed listening to
2: yeah uh there's I mean, I've heard of like malignant or like sociopathic subtype stuff, but I mean, there's just too much on it. You guys can find a bunch of that. Like Presley said, we'll maybe add some information somewhere. Um, But really, the symptoms look the same for adult adult children and narcissists as soon as you hit some of the severity in that spectrum. And that's mainly what we're interested in. But there is another topic we need to explore, which is the difference between a narcissist and a psychopath and a sociopath so there's not a lot of clear answers on that either I've seen like a million things talking about the differences so uh, what have you guys seen what do you know
0: so at least for me what I've heard is that there's like I don't know a lot of overlap between sociopathy and psychopathy and narcissism as well because I think all three lack empathy to some degree but When it comes to someone who's a sociopath, um, I read this one book who was written by a lady who claimed to be a sociopath and what she talked about was kind of different from narcissism. She said she lacked empathy but she also had a lot of difficulty understanding others' emotions because she didn't really have a wide range of emotions that she herself experienced. So, like, she didn't feel fear or anxiety, she didn't get sad, she more often like kind of felt neutral or would jump to rage and she also described things like um, because she didn't have fear or anxiety she would engage in a lot of risk-taking behaviors because she didn't really have a fear of death and kind of like how she saw the world and relationships was kind of like she was always calculating trying to figure out okay like how can I manipulate people to get what I want.
2: Would you say um, a narcissist is someone who also shares a lack of empathy, but they are more likely to feel and interact with emotion, oftentimes intensely, where perhaps a psychopath sociopath is not as likely to do that. Um, I, I also kind of see like sociopaths and psychopaths talked about as the people who are doing crime. Um, and you don't really see that with narcissists although they do manipulate it seems like all three are part of the dark triad and um, all three could be your CEOs you know <laughs> um, but I think one of you was saying how if you're a psychopath or a sociopath you're either a CEO or you're in prison narcissists is kind of just could be anywhere you know
1: Yeah, I also heard the difference between, like, a psychopath and a sociopath is, like, one is born that way and one is created, um, by probably developmental complex trauma. Right. Similar to a narcissist, um, but yeah, they are different. I also kind of struggled with the idea of, like, empathy, um... Because narcissists typically are so emotional and take up so, um, so much emotional space, um, either in a relationship or in a room, you can kind of feel the emotional presence all the time and Mm. they're really good at mimicking behaviors of empathy, um, because they're trying to connect and they're trying to make sure they stay in relationship and are viewed a certain way and all of those good things. So, um, not good things, all of those things. (laughs) So, um... Yeah, if one of you guys would kind of talk about the difference between emotions and empathy, I think that would be really helpful for quite a few of our listeners. Absolutely.
2: I think, Sam, you were saying something really great about that earlier.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, everybody experiences emotions to some degree. Like, again, with like sociopaths, psychopaths, maybe in only a limited fashion, But, like, with narcissists, I think you you said it really well, Presley, when you said, like, they can mimic empathy even though they don't really have it. So a lot of times they may, like, seem to show empathy to someone, but it's all, like, to either love bomb or kind of get somebody to attach to them, and then they kind of do, like, a bait-and-switch kind of a thing.
2: It also seems like the difference between, you know empathy and feeling emotion. Uh, For the narcissist, when they're mimicking emotion or they're having an emotional experience, it's usually for their own gain. So think about the person who shows sympathy because they want to be seen showing sympathy or to feel like they are a good person or to get something from someone. So they can do all the right things and seem really great, but it's the self-gain that's there often at the expense of the other person or not really caring about the other person or if we both win, fine. But there's not really a view where they can see themselves in your shoes, put themselves in your place and identify with it and then make a conscious decision to join you in that and feel that with you because they care about you. That's not really what's going on. So it can look the same, but it's not the same.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, um, like, when you were talking about how you're trying to point to behaviors or experiences that you had to be like, okay, yes, this did happen, I think that's where it can get tricky, because you're like, well, they showed up for me in this way. People are telling me, like, they've been at my house, and they see, they remind me of a time that my parent did comfort me Mm -hmm. but it's this almost like insidious in the air you know that there means more you know that it's not genuine you feel the internal lack of attunement from that parent but it all looks the same so that's where it gets really (laughs) tricky or confusing like pretty quickly
2: so you know long story short there's some bleed through there seems to be a connection between lack of empathy between these types uh sociopath psychopath and narcissist but there are some differences there too but again it's hard to find something that's really cut and dry out there
0: so the next thing that we had to talk about is like i think whenever we talk about the criteria for mpd or whenever we talk about narcissism at all especially when it comes to adult children of narcissists the question comes up am i a narcissist all the time mm-hmm. all the time and i think like like me you guys have probably heard a lot of your clients ask this question mm-hmm. and like come in in a panic and we also panic from time to time asking every, this question. every other day yeah
1: yeah well when you were reading it for this podcast literally <laughs> just now i was like oh my gosh <laughs> um, so yes this is true yes
0: so anything, anything that you guys have to say about that first, um, like just that whole question of, am I a narcissist?
2: Well, I think that f- there are some, two good checks for if you're a narcissist when you start hearing this criteria and you're freaking out one if you're freaking out that's a good sign you know if you're even asking the question and you're scared because you don't want to be a narcissist a narcissist wouldn't really have that awareness wouldn't see it as a problem wouldn't be worried okay so that's in your favor there the second thing would be uh the check of like um do i have empathy can i put myself in others shoes do i feel genuine remorse for other people in the quietness of my own soul you know is it not just a display for everyone else but do you actually feel moved for other people and can have like sympathy empathy sitting with them in their emotions those are kind of the two checks i use every time i'm scrolling through another list or even like we were saying subtypes covert narcissism i'm like it's me it's me and then it comes out with lack of empathy no remorse for others i'm like oh never mind and i'm like okay But then I go, but am I just trying to be a good person and check that off the list? And then I go, oh, I'm worried. Okay, I'm worried. That's a good sign. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I would agree with you there. And I would also add that you probably do have something if you are an adult child of a narcissist. And it would be like, it would be concerning if you didn't because you develop these coping skills um, to survive the relationship that you grew up with. And also that's what you were taught relationally. Like you weren't taught or have another roadmap any other way. And so I think, you know, if there's a teenager or, um, an adult that maybe doesn't have emotional regulation, maybe has a little bit of like borderline tendencies, you can get into different diagnoses, but, It's actually like, no, I'm really glad that you have those because I'd be concerned if you didn't. Right. Or like, oh, of course, you're going to have something because you didn't have what you needed when you were developing. And so you had to create things as a child and children. I mean, they're not adults. So I think also like looking at it compassionately, but there's probably something a little bit there.
2: Yeah, you don't get off scot-free. If you're yeah. raised by a narcissist, you're going to have some narcissistic traits.
1: Mm-hmm. Maybe a neurosis. Neurosis I can vouch for. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, yeah the, I think that's a really good point. And I, I know, at least for me personally, that caused me to panic sometimes and still causes me to panic at times. But um, because it is possible for adult children of narcissists narcissists to have narcissistic tendencies themselves but again these are tendencies and it doesn't mean you're like that you have mpd or that you're like a full-blown narcissist or even highly narcissistic and and the difference is kind of like where you know you you learn things as a kid because that's what your parent is modeling that's the behavior your parent is modeling and so the naturally that's what you're going to try to do when you're relating with other people But the difference is like you can learn grow self-reflect and change like for instance i know for me when i first got married like the whole first year of marriage i used to give my husband the silent treatment a lot and that was like something that my mom used to do a lot was give me the silent treatment so i really didn't know any good conflict resolution skills but once i started like learning like, oh, this is hurting him. And once I was able to get past my own shame and fear of being a narcissist, (laughs) then I was able to like, see it as like, okay, this is a problem that I need to work on. And I learned some skills and I started using the skills and I don't give him the silent treatment anymore. And, and that's like different from someone who's highly narcissistic and they're never going to admit that they have a problem with something. They're not really going to notice that they're hurting other people and like, and they're not going to really change anything
1: yeah i think a lot of it goes back to self-awareness because that's one of the biggest things is like do you have self-awareness
0: yeah i think it's natural too for adult children of narcissists to constantly ask this question and that's because when you grow up with like someone who's exhibiting such extreme behaviors then like it's natural to like fear that and worry that you're gonna hurt people the same way that you were hurt which again that's a sign of empathy mm-hmm. if you're worried about that so like a lot of um because of especially the narcissistic parents black and white thinking or all or nothing thinking they they kind of like pass that down to their kids in some way so um adult children of narcissists can often again like swing to the opposite extreme of in order to not be like my parent i need to be the exact opposite so the exact opposite means have no self sacrifice everything never think of myself don't even use the terms i or me like i don't know if you guys have done this but i used to go through like my emails and texts and try to eliminate all like all the times i said i or referred to myself because i'm like oh no if i do that everyone's gonna think i'm a narcissist and it's gonna show like how narcissistic i am but that's that's not like just like we said before that's not really like the that's not true truly like healthy self-awareness when when you jump to that extreme
2: and it, it is true that like when you are trying to heal from this abuse you'll question that all the time you know I still have times where like you know this morning I woke up and I'm like we're doing a podcast I'm talking on it I'm a narcissist <laughs> <laughs>
1: I know that for me I think well not for me I was curious if this was true for you guys. But what I was thinking when you were talking is like, I think you have such a low view of self and like low view of self-esteem that my question of narcissism comes out when I'm like, well, people don't want to hear from me because I would ruin their day. Or um, if I'm around that child, that child's going to be hurt because I'm in their presence. So I don't need to go. Um, So it would kind of come up that way. But then because it's like, I'm having such an impact on other people's day to day in their lives. And I think I'm at the forefront of their thoughts, mm-hmm. even if it's negative. Okay. Well, like people really aren't thinking about you that much. So then you must be a narcissist mm, and yes. think everyone's obsessed with you. Yes. Um, and then what you were saying with like scrolling through my text, um, I think it w- would happen if I felt like I talked too much
0: Yeah. when I was hanging time. out with
1: somebody and then I'd be like, walking away and being like, they think I'm a narcissist. They'll never want to get coffee with me again. They'll Mm. never invite me back. Mm.
2: Yeah. I identify with that a lot. Okay. So now what we're going to talk about is, oh, Presley, what are we going to talk about?
1: Okay. So now we're going to talk about the symptoms of ACONs. Um, and in our first podcast, we kind of talked about our origin story and how we all took the same trauma class with these symptoms up on the screen or how we Googled symptoms that a bunch of our siblings had. And we're all just like, Oh my goodness. And that's kind of how our journey started. So we're finally going to answer the burning question of what are these symptoms? It's a fun time. <laughs> yeah, so we've
0: kind of broken this down into a few different sections. And the first one is symptoms that come up, like especially in your relationship to yourself, and these symptoms include chronic shame, chronic self-blame, low self-esteem, self-doubt, feelings of worthlessness, um, a lot of identity issues, feeling like you're crazy, questioning your subjective reality, believing like nothing happened but then everything happens like that kind of back and forth, and there's self-harm, eating disorders, um, suicidality, addictions which includes workaholism, perfectionism difficulty making your own decisions and imposter syndrome but anything that you guys have to add to that or any thoughts you have like just on that symptom list for a relationship to self
2: man uh, like <laughs> all of that and i guess identity confusion is the big one to me uh it's that waking up going you know what the heck am i right am i not can i trust myself
1: yeah, I was going to say, I think that you don't have to have all of them sure. um, to be an ACON. So there's definitely some on there I don't um, relate to. Yeah. Um, but also, I think the biggest one when you're saying, like, questioning your subjective reality, questioning if things are real, that was the biggest one that kind of dove me into finding a therapist. Right. And
2: these symptoms can be, like with a lot of diagnoses or with a lot of people who just go through tragedy in their lives. What we're saying though is all of these together really seem to be similar in acons. So if you're someone who listened to, to everything we said and goes, I might have a narcissist in my life and then you identify with these lists, you're you're probably there, buddy. <laughs> so um going then into relationship to others and the world with an ACON.
0: Yeah, so then in this section, again, like, I think, Presley, what you said is great, that you may not identify with all of these symptoms, but the more you identify with them or the more strongly you identify with certain ones, like, the the more likely you are an acon.
2: Yeah, like, I don't have an addiction, you know. Maybe workaholism, but you don't have to. You know, those things mean. That's true. (laughs) Problem in America.
0: So relationship to others in the world, the symptoms... um, are insecure attachment, relationship issues, social anxiety, parentification, and that's when you're kind of taking on the role of the parent to your parent instead of being the the child in the relationship. Then we have caretaking and people pleasing, intimacy issues, trust issues, black and white, all or nothing thinking, difficulty saying no and setting boundaries, isolating, pushing people away um often there's an like both an intense desire to be seen and an intense desire to be invisible at the same time or flips back and forth and there's loneliness constantly questioning where you stand in relationships and paranoia thinking that others hate you
2: a lot of these remind me of um what people mean when they say codependency Mm -hmm. and um There's actually, you know, I'm sure a lot of listeners have heard of AA groups, Alcoholic Anonymous groups. There's also something called CODA groups. And usually they're for people who are in relationships with an addict. But we have found that adult children of narcissists also really relate to that material on codependency. So if you're researching out there, codependency is also something you can look at when you're thinking about how you struggle in relationships after you've been abused by a narcissist.
1: Um, When you were reading those, I was just like, yep, yep, my life, Uh uh-huh, yep. (laughs) Um, And I think also when you were reading those, I was thinking of specific examples that were said that are often said in church about, like, your relationship with God. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm just thinking, like, this is really good foundational information to transition into how that impacts you spiritually for later on. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So the next thing we have is PTSD symptoms that that show up in Acons, where, like again, like you can get PTSD from a lot of different traumatic um, circumstances, but um, for Acons, some of those same symptoms will show up, such as like feelings of emptiness or despair, depression, anxiety, panic attacks, hypervigilance, where you're kind of like always on high alert, and there's dissociation difficulty regulating emotions, um, having emotional breakdowns and shutdowns, nightmares and flashbacks, um, specifically emotional flashbacks where you're overcome by very intense emotions and you don't really know why. Then there's regression where, like, you may act a lot younger at times than, than you are in reality. Um, having a strong startle response, um, struggling with catastrophic thinking, where you're always jumping to worst-case scenario, and then the ability to ignore physical pain and other bodily needs.
2: Uh, I mean, that's everything right there, yeah. So then, since this has gotten narcissism, what are some of the spiritual symptoms with acons that we're talking about here? That, you don't see a lot about that.
0: Yeah, so then when it comes to spiritual symptoms, a lot of times what acons will experience are like some of the following. Feeling unlovable and unworthy specifically to God. Um, having an expectation that God will either punish or ignore you. Constantly feeling like you have failed as a Christian. Um, getting triggered during sermons. Getting triggered when reading the Bible. Strong confusion and doubt. Having difficulty praying. Um, dealing with perfectionism and legalism, like, especially because you have a difficult time understanding the concept of grace. Um, feeling distant from God, difficulty trusting God, dealing with feelings of terror or fear when trying to relate to God, and constantly sacrificing yourself for others to the point of burnout. But what would you guys say about, like, these spiritual symptoms?
2: You know, it. They all, like, en masse are in my life, and they come and go. Like I was saying in in the first episode, uh, I can wake up and have a great relationship with God that day, and just be full of faith and life and joy and peace, and the next day, or even the next hour, all of that can descend upon me, and I have this push-pull relationship with God that really mimics the relationship I probably have with the narcissist.
1: Um Something that I think is interesting that I worked through during therapy was kind of like your parent at when you're little is kind of like a representation of God. It's like they're all knowing, especially when you're like an infant, like a baby newborn. And that's when attachment happens. And that's also when your parent is reflecting you back to you. And so when that reflection is fear, terror, or um, kind of like you exist to serve me. Like there is no you without me. Um, You oftentimes have that parent in placement of God for like worshipping them, serving them, Mm -hmm. um, sacrificing for them. And so you know, I my therapist had kind of asked me a question of like, what if you were to be out of relationship with This parent, because I was kind of curious about you know that, and I immediately thought to myself, like, who would I be without someone to serve? So it's like, I'm a servant, so who would I be if the person I was born to serve wasn't in my life anymore? I would cease to exist, and my immediate thought was, like, I'd cease to exist, Mm -hmm. or like, I wouldn't have a role in the world anymore, and that's when it hit me that, like, I was. Serving that person over God and then I had very much you know projected that person onto God and so that's kind of when that work of separation um started and that was like really hard and I also viewed myself a little bit as the Holy Spirit for that person because I was like well if I said it this way Hmm. if I showed them this if I just did this then they would realize xyz and um So then I was almost like, I, it's my responsibility to be their Holy Spirit, but also their God. (laughs) Um, which is confusing, but anyway, I think that's like another level of kind of the mirror neurons, attachment, Mm -hmm. development, um, where it can get really confusing with like who God actually is and who you're actually serving. I
2: love that. Mm -hmm. Uh, All of that. Mm -hmm. Um, I had someone, I think it was in seminary, a professor said to us, the way you've view your parents in early childhood is often the way you're going to view God until you can straighten that out. And of course that would be true. You learn about relationships from your parents. Um, that's just how child development works. That's your first example of a relationship that mimics God. Someone who is an authority, who is supposed to provide for your needs, who knows way more than you do, that kind of thing. Someone you're supposed to attach to. And usually um, I when I was going through some of the, um, beginning pains of therapy with this, I finally came to the conclusion that it's either my parent or God. I really couldn't have both in my mind as my master, because if I did, they would bleed together way too much. I wouldn't be able to separate them, and I'd just end up being terrified of them both.
0: Mm. Yeah, I can, I can really relate to what you guys are saying, and Presley, kind of going back to what you said about like um like feeling like you had to serve someone or else you would cease to exist like that that makes it all the more scary i think when you walk into a church and they're telling you to be a servant to everyone and that you are a servant or a slave to god and i think what that means to an Acon is totally different mm-hmm. from what it means to people in church Um, and to pastors Um, maybe not all of them because some of them may also be Acons without realizing it but um, but that's super scary and that's where like a whole lot of assumptions can come in of I don't have needs I have to be totally focused on someone else at all times or I'm going to be abandoned or rejected or punished.
1: Yeah and I think when you're starting to heal and like trust yourself well then your gut's telling you to get out, (laughs) right? It's saying, this is a dangerous place. Um, you need to get out when really that's not true, but like, it is true to that part that's protecting you. Yeah. So there's a part of it that's like, no, you're doing a great job. That's right. I should listen to you. And, um, it has that filter on that we talked about. Right. If so... it,
2: it's a good thing if it really does mean that. Yes. You know, if it really does mean that, good on you, get out. Mm-hmm. But let's make sure it means that or not first.
0: Yeah. Right. And I think it's it's like not only scary, but I don't know if you guys experienced this at some point, but for, for me, at least when I was first starting to realize, oh, it's not okay for my parent to treat me this way. Then when I was walking to church and hearing so much stuff that sounded similar to my parent, I started getting really angry and scared. Like, okay, does God want me to put up with this abuse? Is that what these people are saying? That this is okay? And that was, like, both confusing, and I would feel angry, and then I'd feel guilty for feeling angry, and, you know, that whole spiral would happen. 100%.
1: Mm-hmm. That whole, like, exhaust exhaustion. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: So, I'm feeling a lot of things. I don't know about both of you, but that was a lot. Um, so, Presley, we really need you. We need what you have done last time and to kind of ground us maybe with something,
1: if you would. Okay. Um, yeah, so I want you to start by closing your eyes if you are parked or at home and not in your car driving. Um, and I want you to think of somebody that you felt delighted in by. So it can be like Mr. Rogers, someone you've seen on TV. It could be um, just somebody from your past, even if it was one time. It could be a friend. Um, It could be a puppy, an animal that you have. Um, But I want you to just hold that person's face in your mind And as you're looking at them, I want you to just allow yourself to sit in front of their delight. And just notice how it feels to be seen, to be accepted, and then also to be delighted in. As you imagine what that person is looking at and how they're delighting in what they're seeing in you, what might be the most positive thing you have to say about yourself? Maybe it's, I'm okay just the way that I am. I'm not defective. And maybe it's something different. That as you notice their face delighting in you with the positive thought of yourself, just notice the feelings and maybe body sensations you're having of warmth, comfort. Then I want you to slowly open your eyes and come back into the room or the car or wherever you might be. And if this exercise was difficult for you, or you noticed your mind moving and coming back, or it wasn't all positive, just know that that might, ha- might happen. Just notice it, and um, it's okay wherever you're at. Thank you, Presley.
2: Okay. If you guys didn't get your fill on narcissists and what that means, what it looks like in daily life playing out in tactics they use, we're going to add a bonus video for you about the 20 different tactics of narcissists that you can check out in your own time. But that's all for now and we will see you next time. Wait, a bonus podcast, not a video, but yes, we are going to provide that. yeah. Okay. (laughs) Bye.